We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. Today, I sat down and I talked to a comedian, Miss Rita Brent. She's the first comedian I've had on the show. I am super excited to talk to her, super excited for you guys to hear what she had to say. Her comedy is interesting. We get into a, a myriad of subjects. We talk about politics, of course. We talked about her inspirations and her mentors. Ricky Smiley was a really big one for her. We talked about several of her accolades. She was one of the lucky few who gets to give a TED talk. She's produced her own comedy special. She's done so many things, you know. She, she's not a person that waits for success. Guys, please help me welcome Rita Brent to the Working Artist Project. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Sharita and I, we grew, kind of grew up together. We went to the same performing arts school. I want you to talk about how you got into comedy and, and like the mentorship and your relationship with Ricky and, and how that all came about. Well, I met Ricky. I mean, it was really a God thing. I, I can't explain it in a way. I had won an open mic competition in Birmingham, Alabama <clears throat> at the Stardome Comedy Club. And there were like nine or nine or ten participants, and I won that night. And the owner of the club was not in there to hear me, but his wife told him that I did good, and he 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 thought that I should just be instantly graduated to the, to the big stage, which was unusual because typically you have to go through a few more rounds before you get to make it to the big stage. But he said, "I want to go ahead and put you on the big stage." And I performed there. And after he saw me perform, he said that I want you to meet Ricky Smiley. And I was like, oh, okay. So he said it. He threw it out there. And then a couple of weeks later, it was a Sunday. He said, Ricky's going to be here. Come down. I want you to meet him. And I met him. And it was cool. Ricky had a, had a lot going on that night. So he heard me. And he liked what he heard. And then he invited me to come perform with him in Dalton, Alabama. And I did great that night. And that's when he said, I want her to be on all my stuff. So the Ricky Smiley and Friends tour is what I'm on. So pretty much when Ricky is the headliner on these shows, it's usually me uh, opening up and a couple other comedians. Another one of the comedians is from Jack is from Vicksburg. His name is Marvin Hunter. So it's me, him, and this guy who's really funny named Sean Larkins. We are typically the friends on the Ricky Smiley and Friends uh, tour. So, yeah, and Ricky's just very supportive. You know, he calls me his mentee. He talks about how he met Steve Harvey when he was 19. That same guy who introduced me to Ricky had introduced Steve Harvey and Ricky as well. So this guy is just really cool, and uh, I feel indebted to him for introducing me to Ricky because Ricky has really taken a liking to me. He shares a lot of my videos on Facebook. He, he inboxes me sometimes to give me advice about how to how to manage my social media so it's just been a blessing i can't describe it any other way than it just being a god thing yeah that's great man i know for me like and maybe for you also because we're, we're about the same age like ricky smile i remember ricky smiley from all the crank calls or the prank calls back in the day you remember those yeah absolutely <laughs> and you know just like i was like reading your bio and i was like oh yeah it's like Man, it just brought me back to all those memories to me, you know, for me. So I know right. for, for you, 
I mean, you know, you've been listening to this guy for years and to just have his guidance and to be around him and have him believe in you must be something special. It does feel surreal. I mean, many times we're in the dressing room and I'm hearing him give his comedy tales of people he's been around. Like, it feels surreal. Like, I feel like I'm in a movie sometimes. I just can't believe that God has shown me this favor. It, it's very special. And uh, I, I don't want to take it from granted. I really, really want to make sure that I treat this opportunity with as much delicacy as possible. Just so my audience knows what's happening here. You are, I don't I don't know any other way to describe you other, other than like the ultimate entertainer. You know what I mean? <laughs> because comedy is like one percent or one aspect of what you do you know what i mean so you you play drums you do the comedy thing you're also a radio host like the radio gig is your main gig you studied radio right right yeah broadcast production at jackson state university so yeah that's my day job (laughs) and so like how did you how did you that whole circle of like your entertainment empire how did you build that and like or how did you conceptualize that well i'm still conceptualizing it because have a tendency to take on too much and go in too many directions. Uh, I consider myself a jack of all trades, but master of none. And I don't think that's a good thing, believe it or not. I mean, you know, to some people, it looks very impressive that I can do all these things. But my mind, in the meantime, is racing. Someone told me when I was an undergrad that I was talented to a fault. You you aren't going to know what to do because I can do comedy or I can do music, but I want to become an expert in something. Uh, you know, like most people have a particular area where they are the smartest in. And I'm like good in most areas, but I wouldn't consider myself a master of anything. So I'm still trying to figure that out, the balance of it all, the balance of uh, using all of my talents and meshing them together. And I'm kind of getting to do that with comedy you know, because sometimes I'll I'll sing a little bit on stage. In my last stand-up show, I played drums at the end. So I'm just trying to figure out how to weave it all together. You know, I look at folks like Jamie Foxx or Childish Gambino, who have multiple skills as well. They just have these pockets so they compartmentalize their talent. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. See, that, that right there just reminded me of uh, Sammy Davis Jr., you know what I mean? Because Sammy, Sammy played drums. He was a comedian. He sang. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you if you need to think about it like that. Or that. You know, it's like life will find a way for you to manifest those things into or monetize those things into a career that you love. Yeah, that's good. That's good. OK, I, I mean, you know, I have women, a lot of women on my show. And to be honest, man, most of the time, those are the, the better uh, interviews, to be honest with you. But yeah, because like, women rock. Yeah, really. Like, I I think what it is, is like women, you guys are better at articulating the struggle. And mm. since you have to go, you know, you, you, you face uh, sexism every day. Right. Or, or you or, you know, like so many industries are male dominated, especially the entertainment industry. Like, how do you uh, circumvent that? Or, or 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 like if there was a young woman you're talking to right now or listening to this podcast, what advice would you give her? so that she could be successful despite or in spite of those prejudices? Well, my way around it, uh, if I were to give any woman advice in the field, it would be to have have self-respect and don't exploit yourself for a dollar or a dime, whatever it may be. Have self-respect. Know who you are and don't allow anybody to define you. 
with their own uh, ideas of who you should be and how you should be. So being secure and knowing who you are is extremely helpful in this industry. So nobody is going to come tell me, oh, Rita, I think that you should talk more about sexual topics in your comedy. Nobody's going to tell me to do that because that's not who I am. I'm not a, a woman comedian who talks a lot about sex. So you're not going to tell me that's what I need to do to make it to the top because I'm going to find another route because I know who I am and how I want to get there. Um, but also just being on top of my game, you know, the, the same idea that comes from black people being told that they have to be more smart or they have to be two times as good. I feel the same way as a woman. I mean, the struggle of being black is one thing. And for me, the struggle of being a woman is another. I guess I don't really try to look at it as a struggle because I don't want to victimize myself. Although I am able to identify some things that are particular to me as a woman, but I, I'm just prepared. I mean, I just try to be extremely good at whatever I do. So I don't want any pity. You know, I, I used to hate getting called a girl drummer because when I, when I get called a girl drummer, that, that makes me feel like I'm being judged by some other standard, <laughs> you know, like there's a, a girl musician standard. I hate that. Um, you know, I just want you to respect me for my skill and, you know, not be able to say, well, she's funny because she's a girl or she's a good drummer because she's a girl. I'm funny just because I'm funny. I can drum just because I can drum. So part of that to me is just trying to, to be brilliant so there won't be any question of my talent, no matter my my sex. Man, that's a great point. I recently had a, another female drummer on the show. Her name is Cher. Is that tenant? And she made some of those same remarks that you're making right now, you know, because people mm -hmm. would come up to her and ask her what she's setting up her boyfriend's drums. Yeah. You know, and that's real. You, you know what I mean? Like, I just was like, oh, wow, that happened. Have you ever walked into a room with some drumsticks and all of a sudden a lot of eyes are on you and they say, can you play? You can't play. Mm, I can't wait to see. You know, like all that doubt. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, it's, it's so weird, man. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, like those. And then I feel like I have something to prove, you know. <laughs> right, and that's a whole nother pressure is like taking you out of your mindset that you need to be in to create. Right. If it's okay with you, I want to like let my audience hear a little bit of what you do as far as your comedy routine goes, and and I like, <laughs> I like this one. It's uh the Tunchi Cat. Oh yeah, inspired right. by my grandmother. <laughs> so y'all take a listen. Grandma turned 73 years old last week. Y'all give my grandma old ass a hand, please. My grandma turned 73 years old. But it seemed like the older my grandma get, the more she talks shit. I don't, like, we was on the phone the other day, y'all. This is kind of hard for me to talk about because my grandma threw me off. But we was on the phone the other day. We were having a good ass conversation. I said, all right, Granny, I'm going to let you go. She was like, all right, Rita, one more thing before you go now. I said, ma'am, she said, make sure you wash your torture cat before you go to sleep tonight. I said, hold on, Granny, don't hang up the phone because I want to know what in the hell is a torture cat. I said, listen, Granny, I don't know what you got in your drawers, but I got a bobcat, goddammit. I ain't but 28 years old. My shit still meow. You know, if you said your shit probably on this ninth life. I don't, I didn't understand. <laughs> oh, man. To me, that's, that, that's just funny because it's like, you know, that's just like a real story. Like, I was like, man, I listen to this, I'm like, what the hell is a torture cat? Like, you... <laughs> Yeah, it is real. 
And on that clip, I was still developing the joke, you know, so I, I definitely don't curse as much when I tell that joke now. And, and I ask the women in the audience, I say, well, who's 40 years or older? And half the room raises their hands. And I was like, yeah, all of y'all got to the cats. And, and I just kind of go in on them. So now that just, was something I was trying. Just so yeah. my audience knows, like, why you got to be 40 to have a Tunji cat, though? <laughs> well, you know, in your 30s, you, it's still kind of fresh. But as you get older, it might start looking different. It might start smelling different. Oh, you know? so, Lord. So, it's keeping it real. <laughs> you can't fight it. You can't fight biology. It's going to happen. Okay. All right. All right. That's funny, man. So, like, a lot of your, your jokes, are they are they derivative of, like, real-life events? Yes, absolutely. You know, I had to figure out what kind of comedian I am. Somebody asked me, what kind of comedian are you? And I was like, hmm, I don't know. So, I had to go look it up. I'm an observational comic. So, I observe things around me, whether it's politics or people at work. Uh, my everyday experiences are what I pull from to create my comedy. And to me, that's the best way to do it because, you know, once you present it to people, they're going to relate to it most right. times, right. you know. So it can't be so far out there where I'm the only one that can relate to it. I just, you know, try to take everyday experiences and make them funny. So I'm an observational comic, so there's really not a time uh, when I'm not observing my surroundings to see if I can find some kind of humor in it. Now, let me ask you this, because I'm, I've always been curious about this uh, as far as comedy and comedian goes. You know, it seems to me as comedians get more successful, more affluent, it's more difficult for them to be funny. With the exception of a few people, in my opinion, like Chris Rock, you, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like mm -hmm. they have a harder time delivering in like, why do you think that is? Or well, do, you even, it, do you even think that's true? I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it is to a degree. Um, I've heard people talk about Kevin Hart and the way that his content has changed over the years. And they are right. You know, when I'm watching Kevin's older material, uh, he talks a lot about uh, his ex-wife, who was his wife at the time, his children. Um, and his content is changing a little bit now. And that's because his experience is changing. You know, his... His uh, salaries have changed. So he's talking about what his reality is, you know, so people can either kind of progress with you and accept that your reality is changing and he's not having the same experiences as he was when he was 19, when he had just gotten started, you know. Uh, he's growing. He grows just like we do. And I think sometimes people are uncomfortable with artists' growth, you know. You think about somebody like Usher, it took me a while to get used to Usher's new songs because I was used to uh, Take It Slow Usher and the younger Usher. But he is having to evolve and and be in line with today's musical standards, you know. So he doesn't sing to me what I would consider classic R&B anymore. It's kind of a mixture of hip-hop and pop. Um, so he's changing, you know. So his fans, are, we're just going to have to adjust, I think. But Kevin is still funny. His style is still the same. His content is changing, though, you know. But right, I think right. it's just a reflection of his, his new reality with new money, new wife. His kids are older, so he's going to be talking about different things. I personally love Kevin Hart, and I follow him on Snapchat and everything, you know. I got a little competition going on with him that he don't know about uh, <laughs> as far as going in the gym, you know. Like, every I look at his thing in the morning before I go to the gym and be like, I can't let Kevin Hart be stronger than me, bro. He's like 5'1". 
That's awesome. That's awesome. He's inspiring people like that. That's amazing. Right. So you know, he is. You know, you never know, and that's a good point. Like you never know who you're inspiring uh, mm-hmm. from your work. Now, are you? Do you mentor anybody coming up, or do you, do you, are you involved in any community programs like that? Well, I mean, I get reached out to quite often. Um, I have some younger folks that I'll put bugs in their ears uh, from time to time, and folks inbox me all the time. So I, I try to not be on this high pedestal where I'm inaccessible. Um, and uh, I, I respond to people and give advice when I can. I, but I, I'm still very much a novice when it comes to comedy and entertainment. So when people holler at me and they're like, well, teach me how to do comedy. And I'm like, I can't because I'm still learning myself. So, I mean, I've only been doing comedy for four years. So I'm still trying to grow myself. But I never miss an opportunity to engage with people and uh, be a light, you know, in the darkness. I'm, I'm always going to try to do that seamless, seamlessly. I, I never want to force it. And I definitely don't want it to seem like um, I'm an opportunist. And so if I give to a homeless man, you're not going to see me shaking his hand and putting a picture of it on Facebook, you know. So I just do things and and let it take its course without documenting everything that I do and for whom I do it. I hear that. I think you're a little bit too humble, but uh, <laughs> no, no, really, I, I, admire, I admire your humility, man, you know. Uh, Thank so. you. <laughs> so, okay, you know, we both from Mississippi, and I think we had a similar upbringing as far as like you know religion and church because music uh mississippi is the the bible belt you know like Mm. me personally i've diverged from that path a little bit but it seems like you have not and i Mm -hmm. respect that so like how does that part or how does religion what role does it play in your creation well i mean the church the, the church is in me you know i honestly do not go to church as much as I used to. I mean, I used to have to because my mom is a musician, so I always had to play. Uh, but I don't go as often as I used to, but I still get the word through podcasts and I'm listening to stuff, you know. And I, I don't know, I'm just trying to explore God in different ways other than that traditional way of just going to church once a week and that's it. But it's in me. So when I'm on stage, you can hear it. Uh, Cause like I tell a joke, I tell a joke, and if it gets a big laugh, I might do something at the end of the joke, like "Oh Lord," and people are like, "Oh, that's so funny." Right. And after the show, they come up to me and they're like, "Oh, you you love Jesus, don't you? You love God?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I do." But you know, I I try to have a personal relationship with God. That that's what I want—a personal relationship with God. And I I want to kind of separate myself from opinionist type preachers. You know, I'm very cautious about what I ingest and what I consume because there are a lot of opinionist preachers today who are more concerned about sharing their personal opinions than they are, you know, what the word says. So I want to make sure that I know the word apart from what, you know, other folks are are telling me it is. And I think that should be a lot of people's personal responsibility to know the word for themselves, you know. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, but. At the same time, I feel God's presence in my life. I mean, certain things that happen, I know it's not through my own power. Like, it's no way that things could happen the way they've happened just by something I've done, I'm doing, you know. So, uh, absolutely, uh, God is the driving force in my life. And I could do better. I definitely could do better about 
managing my relationship with God. But, uh, you know, I've tried to do what I can do, maintain a little, uh, maintain some integrity in the process and not get too far out there. Yeah, that's great, man. Now, you call him God, I call him the university. And then, see, you, this is how I know you a bad motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) It's because they don't call regular people to do TED Talks. Right. (laughs) So, you know, as humble as you are, you did a TED Talk. And yeah. What was that experience like? And 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 how did you how did you get that opportunity? It was challenging. TED Talks are hard. Um, year before last, I hosted the TEDx Jackson conference. So this wasn't the big TED Talk. TED Talk. This was right. the one in Jackson, and I hosted that one year before last. And then I told the organizers, I said the next year I want to do one. And you know, I didn't think that they would be like, okay. But this uh, last year came around and they said, and, and it was TEDx women. So it was uh, highlighting women. And uh, they said, we want you to do a TED talk. And so I had to figure out what I wanted to talk about. And it was very challenging because you can't promote in TED talks. There are all these rules. You know, you have to share an idea. People have to adopt an idea that you're presenting to them. And I found it very challenging, but I, I think I did well, you know. I would like another shot at it um, at another time. I think I did well, and, and I got my point across. I was talking about women in comedy and how I wish that comedy were uh, was a little more genderless. Mm-hmm. Uh, those same things I was telling you about, so there wouldn't be all these stereotypes and female comedian. And I shared some stats about the different comedy clubs and how few women come into these comedy clubs as headliners. And um, I was just saying basically that comedy is about the experience. Uh, It's not necessarily about the gender. You know, even though our our genders and sex defines our experiences, um, you know, funny is funny. The the quote I shared at the end of my talk was funny is funny, whether whether you have tits or not. Right. So just looking for just trying to share the idea of people being unbiased when it comes to comedy and not judging a comedian by their sex or some kind of you know demographic or salient feature you know you recently had a video go viral Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh mr ben carson you did a you do these videos where you pray for people <laughs> you know so can we can we listen to this video and then talk about the effects or how you think about uh comedy and politics absolutely dear heavenly father and black history jesus we come to you this morning confused and disturbed about our brother ben coon carson lord this fool got up and said that slaves were immigrants who worked hard for less they were on the bottom of slave ships and they had a dream can you please let this this man know that slaves did not come over here on a Disney cruise ship, Lord, with hopes and dreams that their children would meet Mickey and Minnie one day, Lord. Lord, I know Ben Carson is a neurosurgeon, but we need you to fix his brain and his life, Lord. Ben Carson think Rosa Parks was sitting on the bus because she had bad knees, Jesus. Can you tweet Ben Carson from heaven and let him know that slaves didn't work for less? Many times they worked for nothing and they worked just to stay alive, Lord. Lord, we are not losing hope for our brother Ben because we know you are able. 
We need you to reach now, this whole thing is, is funny, especially <laughs> just because, you know, growing up in church and then this fool saying this stuff, you know, I watched his video and, and it's funny because that same, like a few days, I guess a day or two later, you posted this one. Right. And it, man, I was just dying on Facebook. Like, wow. <laughs> like you hit all of the points. Like, you, you know, like what, how did this come about? Man. To be honest, I didn't even think that was the funniest video I had ever done. I thought my grammar prayer that I did was the one that was going to go viral. Uh, and it got up to like 800,000-something views, 850,000 views. But I think it was the fact that this one was so timely and that there was so much outrage about Ben Carson calling slaves immigrants. And I woke up that, that morning, and I was already late for work, and I was like, man, I don't have time to do this video. But then I said, okay, I'm going to be consistent. That's a promise I made to myself that I'm going to try to drop a video a week. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it and see what happens. And so I posted it that Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. And then it just started getting mad feedback. And so like 12, around noon or 1 o'clock, it was at like 90,000 views. And then Ricky Smiley shared it. When Ricky Smiley shared it, it went it went nuts that next morning i woke up and i had a million views and wow. then by today we're at three and a half million it's my job as a comedian to make light of things that are perplexing us uh, politics is one of those things trump everybody's up in arms everybody's divided about it and so as opposed to me being angry which is what I really feel. I've decided to release my anger through comedy, you know, and I might as well build my brand, you know, in the midst of being angry. So I've just taken on that assignment to try to put comedy in anything that I do for my own sanity, really. <laughs> and I think it helps other people as well. Right. Yeah, man. You know, you you've done several of these, and, and just the the topic of politics and comedy. I guess that always that those two things always go hand in hand. You know, and com mm -hmm. comedians tend to to find a way to make the ridiculous like laughable. You know, yeah. And and that's that's a true talent and a gift, man. It's just like just unbelievable what he said, and, and that any person alive would say that is ridiculous, and in, in that a person from your own community would say those things is just that's what was crazy and that's why i called him a coon that's the first thing i was like man i'm gonna call this dude a coon and i'm gonna mean it and you know people were trying to respond to me saying well obama said the same thing yeah that was different context and we know that ben carson has a history of saying things uh against black people as if he is just completely oblivious to the to the black struggle um but yeah man ben is crazy and I mean, I heard he's supposed to be coming to Jackson soon and I don't care about meeting him because he's crazy. So uh, I thanked him in one of my videos for saying stupid crap to help me get my million views. So right, right. I really exactly. appreciate him. <laughs> Thank you, dummy. So, <laughs> right. So listen, so I polled some of my uh, listeners to see what I should ask you. And this question came up, like, how do you make sure you don't tells unintentionally tell someone else's joke studying number one number two is integrity so i listen to everybody 
Moms Mabley, uh, Red Fox, Bernie Mac. I listen to all these folks on a weekly basis. And if I hear an angle that they're taking, then I'm thinking about taking because I have documents and documents of jokes, joke ideas. If I have heard Bernie Mac say something or Red Fox say something, I'm not going to take the same angle. It might be the same topic, but I'm not going to take the same angle. So a lot of it just the way that I don't duplicate jokes is that I'm familiar with a lot of comedians and if they get to something before I get to it, I'm just going to let them have it. You know, Dion Cole has a, a bit about napkins. I had just written a joke about napkins, but it's pretty much identical, you know, because we have the same experiences as humans. So since I heard him do it first, I'm not going to do it. But some people don't have that integrity they just are like yeah forget it i'm gonna tell it anyway which is silly because there's so many other things you could talk about but for me if i once i've heard a comedian talk about something it's off limits for me i'm just gonna find something else to talk about but i'm extremely familiar with all genres of comedy black white you name it i listen to it so i can be familiar with things because the, the last thing i want is for somebody to say i stole something when you know, it's just the fact that I, I hadn't, I didn't know somebody else did it. So I try to be real, real careful about that. Some people don't care, man. They, they'll hear you tell a joke and they'll go to another show and tell it. They might tweak one sentence or one word. I mean, I've heard my material stolen before and I, I've confronted some folks like, hey, that shit ain't cool. <laughs> man, I want to listen before we come to the end here, but I want to listen to, um, one one of my favorite jokes that I found online, and it was the boo boo joke. Now, when you're doing the number two at work, that's when you need the most privacy. You understand? Because you got to put the tissue down on the toilet. And you know, if your thigh touched that toilet at work, you got the Zika virus. You know that, right? Don't you let your thigh touch that toilet at work. But you know, I need privacy when I do the number two at work. You know, you don't have time for shenanigans at work because uh, you trying to get in there and get out before somebody see your shoes. Can I be a witness? You understand what I'm saying, right? If somebody see your shoes, they don't know exactly who you are. You know? You'll be walking in the hallway later on. Your co-worker say, hey, look at that. Be like, ah, oh, just me. That was you in there. Blowing up the bathroom, right? That's so funny to me because it's like so such a real occurrence, you know. It's just like, oh man, like. <laughs> yeah, I experienced that at work. Uh, this lady came in, and I was like, dang, because it only had one stall, and you know we're in the same department, and I was thinking, man, if she recognizes my shoes and then puts two and two together, she's gonna figure out later on if that was me, and then you know have an attitude with me and stuff. So I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah, I don't want nobody to see my shoes. You in then the, the rest of that kicking joke. your shoes off, putting them on your in your backpack and stuff. <laughs> yeah, the rest of that joke, I, I say I have two pair of shoes, some regular shoes and some number two shoes. Oh, and I say you know, get some sketches or something like that. <laughs> right. It's, it's... <laughs> Listen, man. Before before I let you go, I want to uh, I, I ask every guest I have on the show this question, and it's. What are three things that you're most thankful for? Hmm. Three things I'm most thankful for. Um, my mother, who has been so supportive and such a strong woman, uh, raising me and my little sister alone. 
by herself uh, as we were growing up. So she's one of the strongest women I know. So I'm thankful for her. You know, she gives me spiritual advice. She's my, my biggest fan. Uh, definitely thankful for her. Um, thankful for my gifts. You know, I see a lot of people who are depressed and down, can't figure out who they are, what they want to do with their lives. And I have all this opportunity before me. So uh, I'm thankful for my gifts and I don't take them for granted. I don't want to misuse them. Uh, so I'm thankful for them. And uh, yeah, of course, I'm thankful for life. Absolutely. To, to be here, to have breath in my body um, and to be able to, to have an impact on the world. So yeah, my mom, my gifts and life. Absolutely. Wow. So are there any, uh, where can people check you out and are there any uh, performances or projects you have that you want to promote? All right, on all social media fronts, I am Rita Brent Comedy. So Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, R-I-T-A-B-R-E-N-T Comedy. And I have a couple of DVDs, uh, a couple of stand-up specials that I've recorded, and I'm going to be getting them on the website pretty soon. Uh, I do sell them out of my hand, so if you ever run up on me, I'll probably have a DVD on me. But I'm going to be setting up a website pretty soon so you can get my DVD from there. And other than that, when you follow me on social media, you can see where I am going to be. So I have some dates coming up with Ricky Smiley, um, and I'll have all that information on my my Facebook and Instagram. There it is, y'all. Rita B., Rita Brent, <laughs> thank you for coming on the Working Artist Project. Absolutely, Darren. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Working Artist Project. Before you go, I need you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on iTunes and Facebook. I would love to connect with each and every one of you. It would also be awesome if you guys could check out my Patreon page. The link will be in the description. Each week, I will recognize one of my patrons at the end of this podcast. If you want to find out how to get your name called, click the link below. Become a patron. I'll catch you guys later. Peace.